Just want to start by saying thank you to the guys for leading worship. Uh, do you know what? It's just an easy thing to take for granted, isn't it, that people turn up each week and lead us in worship and so grateful to the team that led us in worship and lead us each week in worship. So thank you. They are amazing. Um, thank you, guys. It was interesting as, as the worship was going there was something in the environment. Um, when, you, when we come together as Christians, the Lord does something different each time that we come together. And I, I, could, I had such a strong sense of the presence of God as we were worshiping together. And I was trying to put my finger on what, is, what it is that the Lord was doing in the room. And it's only as I've stood up here that I'm like, oh, I think that the Lord was imparting faith into the room. I think that's what the Lord wants to do this evening. And an impartation of faith, you know, even just hearing those, those just little stories, but they're not small stories in people's lives when they sleep and they haven't been sleeping. I think it's Hannah, isn't it? And thank you for, thank you for sharing that because it gives us hope that the Lord cares about the little things in our life as well as the big things, that he cares about all aspects of our life. And so I'm expecting of what the Lord's going to do is he imparts faith to us this evening. Now, we're again in our series in Joshua called the Joshua chapter. Going to be continuing looking at Joshua 3 this evening. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them, turn to Joshua 3, because that's where we're going to be residing for tonight. But the idea of this series on the Joshua chapter is the thing about chapters are they have endings and beginnings. And as one chapter comes to an end, we move into the beginning of a new chapter that the Lord wants to do something new. Uh, it's the same in our lives as it is in, in the life of a church as well. Uh, that the Lord, we, we just sense the Lord doing something new in our community. And it's a beautiful thing, feeling it beginning to happen. And the tagline of the series is courage from heaven. Courage is such an incredible virtue, isn't it? When you see it in somebody and you're, it's actually really captivating when you see somebody do something courageous, that they break through a barrier or they step into something. We look at it and we're like, wow, I'm inspired by that. But I believe that there's courage from the world and there's courage from heaven. Courage from the world is good. It's, it's a great thing. But what I'm talking about this evening is I'm talking about courage from heaven, which is something slightly different. It's courage to go after the things that the Lord has for us. That's the difference, that the Lord has created each one of us and he has a different path for each one of us to walk. It's part of the uniqueness of the Christian walk and that he has things for us and things for us to press into. But you know, often we just get stuck. We, get, we kind of get stuck on the way, we get lost in the wilderness. And as we look at Joshua, we see so many different life lessons from Joshua about the play the story of the Israelites. And so what I'm doing as we're talking in Joshua is we've got these two different things going on. We've got the story of the people of Israel and we're following that because that's contextual. But at the same time, as we're talking about these things, we're looking at what the Lord wants to do in our life. There's a parallel thing going on and we can't overdraw that out. But at the same time, there are principles that we see in the life of Joshua that if we let them, will inspire our souls, that will impart courage into our souls. And so that's the aim of what we believe the Lord wants to do is that he wants to put courage in us 
And it's his courage. It's not something that we kind of stand there and we're like, I want to muster up courage. I want to be really brave. It's as we, as we spend time in the presence of God and as the presence of God washes over us, it begins to impart something into our hearts. And the outworking of being full of the Spirit is to go after the things of God, to step into the opportunities that are around us every day that so often we just let... We miss them. It's almost like they just kind of pass us by. But when we're sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing, we begin to see, what, we begin to see them and we're like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to go after that. And so that we would be a people of courage. That's, that's the heart of what we're talking about. Just a bit of a recap. Some of you have been in this story of Joshua thus far. Some of you didn't even know that there was a book called Joshua in the Bible. You know, it's like we, we have people in different places here. But Joshua has um, reached the point of coming to the promised land with, with the people of Israel. Uh, he, the, Moses, who was leading up till then, has passed on the mantle to Joshua, and he said, you're now the leader. Joshua, uh, sorry, Moses has passed away, and so Joshua's there, and they're on the edge of the promised land looking in. That's the picture that we have, looking into the promised land, thinking about, okay, what is it going to mean to move into all that the Lord has promised us? And so they've got this massive barrier between them and the promised land, the River Jordan. Now, when the River Jordan's Gentle, it's not such a big deal, but actually, as we'll see in the passage, that the River Jordan is in flood at this point. But this is a change moment. This is the peace before the storm, that moment when change occurs. And you know it's coming because you can't stay where you are looking in. You can't just stay looking at something forever, going, oh, there's a moment where you have to step. And you know as soon as it starts that there's no coming back. As soon as you put your foot in, it's like, whoa, everything's going to change. Joshua, as Stuart talked about last week, has sent two spies into the land to check it out, particularly to look at Jericho, the city. And, and they've gone in, uh, they've been rescued by Rahab, and, and they come back to Joshua, and they're reporting back, and they're saying, do you know what? The whole nation is melting in fear because of the power of your God. And so th this is the moment that Joshua's been waiting for. This is like the all systems are go moment of it's time to go in. So what does he do? Well, he immediately dispatches runners throughout the vast camp of Israel. Now, when you, you're thinking about this nation of Israel, be thinking about hundreds of thousands of people. We are talking a lot of people. We're not just talking kind of a little gang. There are loads of them waiting. Um, and so... Uh, so the runners go around announcing that the next morning that they're going to break camp and they're going to pitch their tents right on the River Jordan. Up to this point, they've probably been two or three miles away, kind of looking over it. They are going to move to the edge of the River Jordan. That's where they are. And so we're going to pick it up, chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So they're moving. And you can imagine, imagine the chatter that would be going on. They've moved to the edge of the Rid River Jordan. This is the day. 
This is the moment that we're going to move into the promised land. They've been waiting for this 40 years. They've had a, a failed attempt 40 years before. 400 years they've been waiting for this moment of moving into the promised land. So this was a people that knew how to wait. So the expectation would have been huge. But as they approached the famous river that formed a barrier between them and the promised land, what they saw would have terrified them. It would have been incredibly scary. The Jordan River was in flood and it was uncrossable. I've got a small clip actually that I'd love to show you if it works, hopefully. I think you've got the idea. The reason I show that is because that is the River Jordan in flood. And I think it's easy to think about a river in flood. But when we're talking about a people crossing over, we're not just talking about the healthy. We're talking about the sick. We're talking about invalids. We're talking about children. And so if you imagine this, this river, it would have been between three feet and 12 feet deep. And it would have spread over a vast area. There would have been stuff under the surface, trees, roots, all of that. And they're, they're looking at this. And so they're camping for three days on the edge of the River Jordan. And can you imagine what their confidence was like as they looked at this river? You can almost imagine it draining out of them, can't you? It's like... Oh, how on earth are we going to cross over this? So this is the situation that Joshua finds himself in. And you can imagine the conversations, can't you? This is a stupid idea. This is, this is ridiculous. Let's just stay here. At least we're safe. That would have been a big one going around. Let's go over when it's, when it's not in flood. Why don't we wait six months? This isn't the moment. What about the children? My parents are sick. They're never going to get across. Joshua is naive. This is doomed. We've all been in situations, haven't we, where there's been an idea presented and then courage begins to flood out of people as the reality emerges. It's like, this is stupid. So the waiting pounded reality into every Israelite. And it's easy for us to relate to the emotions and thoughts of Israel because so many of us face personal Jordans. Personal Jordans that feel so permanent and powerful that we don't even try to make it across. We're even just looking at it thinking, there is no way I am going to cross that. Our lives might feel stalled, maybe even stuck on the wrong side of the Lord's promises. And we read about the abundant life, but we can't make it out of the wilderness. We're stuck in the wilderness, wandering around. We have a raging River Jordan in front of us. And in the midst of this situation, what begins to happen? The doubts. The fears, the what-ifs begin to come. How on earth, God, are you going to do this? But we have this picture from Joshua that's so inspiring because Joshua remains unwavering. Now, sometimes I wish the Bible had kind of another layer of detail here because I would love to know the emotions that Joshua was feeling at this moment. With, a car, you know, with all these people waiting on the edge of the River Jordan, looking at this river in flood, thinking, God, you are going to have to do something incredible. I imagine his prayer life was red hot. <laughs> he would have had the fear. And after three days, he gives the order for, to the people to start following the priests in the Ark of the Covenant. The priests, the Levitical priests it talks about in the Ark of the Covenant are to go into the river first. 
and then the people are to cross over. And that's the sign when they move, move after them. And we come back to this verse, verse 5, which for me is kind of the pivotal moment in the passage where it says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The Lord will do amazing things among you. That's some confidence, isn't it? It's not even the Lord might do some amazing things among you or could do or perhaps or maybe Almost like a proviso in there of, he might want to do something great. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord wants and will do amazing things among you. Joshua is standing firm on the Lord's promises. God is going to break in and you're going to see a mighty miracle. What a picture of faith. And Joshua's courage comes from what God has said he is going to do. Joshua has been listening to the Lord's voice. Joshua 3 goes on to tell us something that we see throughout the rest of Scripture, but particularly in Luke 18, verse 17, and, uh, sorry, 18, 27. What is impossible with men is possible with God. What is impossible with men is possible with God. And if you've been in the journey of faith for any amount of time, you will know that that's, that's true. I've experienced that in my own life, it's time and time again, where, you've look, where we look back with hindsight and we're like, oh, God, you acted here, you broke in, you provided miraculously, financially. We saw this healing here, the power of God just breaking in. In the natural, it's impossible, but with God, anything is possible. That's the situation we've got right here. This is an impossible situation. They cannot cross over. God is going to have to act. It reminds you of something else that happens previously, doesn't it, in Scripture. It's like the parting of the waters. We might have seen this before. And there's this, it blocks the stream further upriver. Streams, too small. River, raging torrents. God was about to reveal the steps that must be taken in every life and every church if we're to move from fear to faith, from apathy to passion, from the wilderness to the land flowing with milk and honey, honey, because that's the promise. It's not just something that's all right when they move into this land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, from lack to abundance. You can see this, this exchange going on from here to there. And the truth is, though, it's so easy to get stunk, stuck on the riverbank looking at the enormity of what lies before us. Because that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about our personal Jordans. When we're sitting there and we're on the edge of the riverbank, we know that change is coming and we feel like the Lord has said to move and we're looking at what the Lord's calling us into and we're like, God, how is that ever going to happen? And we can get paralyzed by fear and we can get overwhelmed And, and these things, it's stupid to ignore them. It's stupid to ignore these obstacles that we see in front of them. But the obstacles should never dictate what the Lord has said. It is always about his voice. Always about his voice. It's always about what the Lord has said. We can't, we don't make it up because Lord is in charge. When we surrender our lives before him, when we come before him and we say, you are Lord, at that moment we are saying, you know better for my life than I do. Up until that point, we are God of our own life. We're in charge, we're making every decision. But at that moment we're saying, Lord, I believe that the creator of the universe knows better than me how to live my life. And let me assure you that that is the truth. He knows a lot better than you. 
So he will find a way for, you know, to take this into, into a church context for us because we have our individual journeys that we talk about, our personal Jordans, but also we have the life of, of a community together that we're moving as, as a church, that as we, as this church looks to expand firstly to the north and beyond, as we plant another site north of the city and become a multi-site church, there are going to be massive challenges. Of course there are. There are going to be venue challenges. There are going to be financial challenges. There are going to be people challenges. There are all of those things. Of course there are. But the Lord has called us. He's spoken. He said step. He said move. He said expand to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. Go in every direction. Why? What's the motivation? Why bother? Because there's a city that's lost and doesn't know Jesus. There are people that our communities will see come to faith. And it's great having this here. I love it. I love it. I love hearing the stories of faith of people that have found a community and they found faith. But it's not enough. That the Lord has said, go. And it's not something that we conjure up and go, we're not about building an empire. It's ridiculous. My job, Jen's job, the leader's job, is to seek the Lord's voice. That's our primary role. Lord, what is it that you're saying? And we believe that he's saying, step, go, multiply, expand. That's what I've got for you. We can focus on his voice or we can focus on the raging river. We can focus on his voice or on the river. And that's our choice. So what about your life? What is louder right now? The, his voice or the river that's possibly in front of you? Have you surrendered your plans and asked the Lord for his direction and voice? Is that the foremost thing? I think that's, that's what the Lord would want, of, would want of us, to be a people who listen for his voice. That's the starting point. For some of you, you don't actually know how to do this first step. I'm talking about the Lord's voice, and you're like, that is interesting, but I actually don't really know what you're talking about. That is the purpose of having a community of faith, is that there are mature people who've been on this journey for many years. And what happens is, as we grow in our faith, we learn to discern his voice. The scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. We do, he's always speaking. But we have to learn to hear it. We have to learn to hear his voice. For others of you, the Lord has been speaking and you're camped on the edge of the River Jordan. You're right there. You're looking at the magnitude of the change and the obstacles in front of you. What? What if? How much? Have you really said? Those are all the questions that we ask when we're on the edge of the River Jordan. My encouragement for you is to get on your knees before him. That's where the sustaining power comes from. As we get on our knees and we say, Lord, I'm about following your voice. What is it? Lord, would you fill me with courage from heaven to do the things that you've asked me to do? Before the Lord did amazing things, what did Joshua ask? Joshua, through the Lord, asked the people to consecrate themselves. 
the Hebrew word for consecrate means to prepare or to dedicate, to be hallowed, to be holy, to be set apart for his purposes. That's what consecrate means. God was telling his people that if they were going to cross the uncrossable and follow the will of the Lord, they must be set apart to him. They must be holy. And this basically involves two main things. The first is this, that we allow the Lord to search our hearts to search our hearts. One of the primary reasons that Israel found their way blocked and one of the reasons that we find our way blocked is our mess and our motivations get skewed suddenly in the course of life. It's like, whoa, you know, we're going after the things of the Lord and then this thing comes in from the side and suddenly it's the motivation. Oh, it's the money, whatever it is. Oh, it's that relationship. And it, suddenly we come back and it's like, what, what is our motivation or even our desire to be in control. In short, you might put it another way, our sin. It's the things where we don't put the Lord first. And it's the things that get in the way of what the Lord wants to do. On the eve of one of the greatest days in Israel's history, Israel was commanded to be certain that they were right before God, to examine their lives, to confess and forsake sins, and to vote themselves wholly to the Lord. Now, if you were to say, well, what does that look like for us? I would give you Psalm 139, 23 to 24, which are just the most beautiful verses that can be used as our prayer in our own lives. It says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What we're doing when we're setting ourselves before the Lord is we're opening ourselves up before him and we're saying, search me and know me. He already knows you. We're just bringing it before the Lord. We're saying, Lord, I don't want there to be anything between us. Let the Lord search your heart. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, that, is that's almost not enough, that there's another side to this as well, which is being, about being spiritually alert. Consecration in the Old Testament also involves things like washing your clothes and abstaining from sex, changing your work schedule and other things. Now, what that means is that they deliberately interrupted good and normal functions in life by God's command in order to be on spiritual alert. So God was about to do amazing things among them. They didn't want to miss it by being involved in things that they could do at other times. It's almost like getting rid of some of the mundane in order to go after the things of God. In, in our context, I think that would look like prayer and fasting, in mine and Jen's own life, whenever there have been major moments where we felt a change moment, that's what I'm talking about. That's the River Jordan. Do you know what? We have little decisions that we make all throughout our life. And that's about being close to the Lord. But there are change moments. This is a change moment. They are the big pivotal moments in life. You know, a university course comes to an end. Lord, what am I to do? That you're in a job and you're like, oh, this is killing me. Do you want me to stay or do you want me to move on? You know, there are so many, you can fill in the blank with that. But these are pivotal big moments. What do we do in these pivotal moments? Generally, we panic. Ah. What I'm suggesting is that this is a moment where we get on our knees and we fast and we pray. Because we interrupt the normal course of events. Because we're saying, Lord, I'm desperate to hear your voice. Lord, please speak to me because I need to know what's right. So if you're in that place, and sometimes I've heard many people say, oh, fasting sucks because you can't eat. Yes, it does. 
But do you know what? It is an amazing for your spiritual alertness. Suddenly you're aware that there's something on your soul that you're praying for. It could be somebody else. It could be in their life. It's not always for you, but you're praying for something. And every time that you feel this hunger, you're like, Lord, I want to pray for this. Lord, I'm going to seek you for this. That your presence is more important than food. That's all that you're saying in that moment. It's not about being religious. It's this desperation to hear the Lord's voice, to put ourselves in a posture whereby we can hear him. So that might be you. You might be in that place. And then comes the next step. And we see this in verses 7 to 13. Get your feet wet. We can talk about it till the cows come home, but there's a moment where you have to step. There's a, there's a faith moment. There's a moment where enough is enough. Lord, I've heard your voice. I'm going to step. I'm going to go after this. Verses seven and eight, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Today I will begin to exhort you in the sight of all Israel so they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. This is their moment, the priests going after it. Go on to verse 13. When the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, come to rest in the Jordan's waters, its waters will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. The moment's come. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant must step out into the floodwaters. And there, what do they do? It's not enough to just step out. They have to stand still. You think, oh, do you know what? I'm going to step out and walk straight over the other side. No, they've got to stand still. And at any moment, this thing can go again. It's like, oh, there's a blockage further upstream. Oh, my goodness. But it could go at any moment. And they're standing there in the middle of the river. And they stand there until every person goes past. Every single person, every child, every mother, every sick person. They have to wait in the river. Faith moves you forward in God's way, in God's timing. And there will come a moment when you must act on what God has said. If you don't, you'll never cross the Jordan. You'll spend your life looking at it. It's so important to understand this, that focusing on the Lord is essential and consecrating yourself to the Lord is vital, but we will never cross the Jordan unless we take that step of faith. Our eyes and our hearts can be right, but if we don't move our feet to meet the challenges, we will never progress in the Lord's work. We must commit ourselves, our time, our energy, our money, our lives to what God is doing, or it won't happen. So we get our feet wet and we get in. But that's not the end. We often think, and then I run through to the other side. It's like, no, they're in the river. The priests are standing there. They are standing still. Do you know what I think they're doing? And I think it really alludes to this. I think that they're worshipping in the river. I think that they're intercessing in the river. As every person, that, that was what the priest's job was. It was to pray. It was to intercede. It was to... to worship the waters parted and the priests were able to cross but the key is this to lead people it isn't enough to just cross over yourselves so there's an individual thing to this that we stand in the river and we worship but there's another side to this is that sometimes when we lead others will follow there's a leadership moment as well in here 
The priests could have just crossed and left the people behind and gotten to the promised land, but they didn't. And the last verse of chapter, verse 17, gives, gives us an incredible picture of courageous and godly courage. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Who knows how long they stood there? How long that process took for every person to go past? Who knows how badly they wanted to quit in the middle of it? Who knows how tired they got holding the ark? Who knows how frustrated they got watching children stumble and old men pause? Who knows how their heart beat with anticipation and frustration? They were close enough to see the promised land, but they couldn't touch it. They were called to wait and worship in the river. They were the first one in and the last ones out. For some of us, we're called to make the way for others. We're called to go first. We're called to galvanize others. So that's something to realize, that there's a multiplication effect that goes on. And for some of you, you know that's you. That what happens when you step is it releases something into the community. It releases something into other people's lives. That's leadership. That's what happens is that other people look and they're like, I'm inspired. Yes, I will come with you. Yes, I will go with you. I want to go after the things of God. So we've got these different things. We've got consecrate yourself, search your hearts. You've got being spiritually alert. You've got get your feet wet. You've got worshiping in the river. And I want to finish with this. If you were to put yourself in the story, where would you be? There's the different parts of the story. There's the wilderness. There's the 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. That could be where you find yourself in this evening. It's like you've just been stuck. You've been living life on repeat. Nothing's moving forwards. You're almost just going around in circles. The wilderness is all right, but it's not a place to stay. It's a place to move out of. And then you've got the next step, haven't you, of Joshua looking into the promised land. The people, they're two or three miles away from the riverbank. They're looking in, they're glancing in, seeing what the Lord might, might do. Then you've got the people that are on, on the edge of the riverbank. They're looking at it. They're like, wow, that is big. I'm not sure I want to do this. But some of you have stepped. Some of you are in the middle and you're like, what have I done? What on earth was I thinking? Because that's sometimes what it feels like when you do step. You're like, well, I stepped. Do you know what? The Lord will not always provide, he will always provide everything that we need, not always everything that we want. He'll always provide everything that we need. And my encouragement is, if you are in the river, worship. There is no greater thing that brings peace to your soul than worshiping in the river. It's like, I know that the Lord said to go after this. I could look foolish, this could be stupid, but I am a person that's led by the voice of the Lord. His voice is greater than the torrent. Why don't we stand? <clears throat>